Hi, you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I'm Tony Hines, and it's great to be here. Now this week we've got a special report on the maritime trade and how it's trying to clean up its act. And so I'll be back, so stay tuned to tell you all about that. The maritime industry is responsible for about 3% of the total greenhouse gas emissions. They've increased by about 20% over the last decade, and this is mainly due to the increased traffic. Without action, it's said that these emissions could reach 130% of the 2008 levels by 2050. And the maritime trade has an ageing fleet. The average ship's age in 2023, according to UNCTAD, was 22.2 years, and over half is now older than 15 years. So many ships are either too old to retrofit or too young to scrap. And yet there's an urgency to decarbonise, which requires multi-billion dollar investments in shipping. Although alternative fuels are showing promise, the adoption remains low. 98.8% of the total maritime fleet is sailing using fossil fuels. About 21% of vessels on order will operate on cleaner alternatives like liquefied natural gas, methanol and hybrid technologies. But of course this will replace pressure on the energy system elsewhere. Another problem in maritime trade is that major flag states such as Liberia, Panama and the Marshall Islands account for a third of the shipping carbon emissions and they'll be responsible for enforcing new green shipping standards. But the reason many of these fleets register their ships in Liberia, Panama and the Marshall Islands is, of course, to avoid regulation. So who's going to take responsibility to move to the new, greener, decarbonised, renewable future? That's a question we'll be asking in this programme. When we look at the carbon emissions over time between 2012 and 2022, we can see quite clearly that China leads the way. And it's gone right up the league table, it's number one with 102 million tonnes of carbon dioxide emissions. And that's up from 43 million, 493,000 in 2012. So it's more than doubled. Japan is second, but that was number one previously with 101 million tonnes currently. And previously it was on 99 million tonnes. Greece is third with 90 million and that was previously 69 million the United States is fourth with 45 million previously 43 million and China Hong Kong 39 million from 18.8 million in 2012 and then Germany is uh, number six with 37 million but that's lowered its carbon output from a previous figure of 86 million So Germany is an interesting country from that point of view. It's made a real effort to lower its carbon emissions and succeeded down to 37 million. So we'll take a closer look at what Germany's been doing or whether it's just a reduction of fleet. Singapore is up from 19 million to 32 million. The Republic of Korea up to 28.7 million from 24 million. Denmark up to 28 million from 23 million. And Norway 26 million and a half million from 25.7 million. 
If we look at the largest fleets in the world in 2023, the United States doesn't appear on the map. And that's interesting, isn't it? But the reason, of course, is not because the United States doesn't have any ships. It's because they're registered elsewhere in places like Liberia, Panama and the Marshall Islands. So Liberia leads the way with registered shipping. 378,000 deadweight tonnes. Followed by Panama, 365,000 deadweight tonnes. And Marshall Islands, 299,000 deadweight tonnes. And China, Hong Kong, 200,000. Ships are mainly built in China, South Korea and Japan. They're owned by Greece, Japan, China and South Korea in the main, in deadweight tons. And the registrations I've just given you information about. And they're mainly scrapped in places like India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. It's going to take heavy investment to move the shipping sector towards cleaner energy. And this will, according to UNCTAD, disproportionately impact most vulnerable nations. Decarbonising the world's maritime fleet by 2050 will require somewhere between 8 billion to 28 billion US dollars in investment annually. And the investment in carbon neutral fuels will need somewhere between 28 billion to 90 billion every year. For small island states and least developed countries, this is a burden that's probably too much. These are the countries on the front line of climate change and they rely heavily on trade and economic growth to secure their future. In 2023, there were about 2.265 million tonnes, deadweight tonnes, of shipping. UNCTAD has made a request for nations to consider adopting an economic measure, such as an emissions levy, and to allocate part of those funds to make shipping infrastructure more climate-ready in vulnerable countries. The second thing it's asked for is policy and regulatory bodies to establish a global decarbonisation framework that gives attention to the needs of vulnerable countries. And the third thing they want is the global community to provide financial and technical support to developing countries most affected by energy transition costs. So those are big claims laid at the doorstep of trading nations in developed countries. There isn't really a detailed plan of how this will all be paid for, of course, and that's the big issue. And that big question remains. When these ships switch to renewable energies, the carriers will have to ensure that they'll still be able to travel as fast and as safely as they could travel with fossil fuel. And they'll be careful not to add weight to the ship, because carrying additional battery technology, for example, on a ship, would add much weight to the vessel. And that could be damaging to journey times and, of course, to cargo. There may be potential threats from fire due to battery technology, which could be more volatile than other types of fuel. So hydrogen and hybrid are some of the choices that will have to be made. And innovation, of course, is happening all the time. The technology is getting better. So no doubt, at some time in the not-too-distant future, technology and investment in shipping will improve immensely. And the problem for early adopters could be that they invest in the wrong type of technology for their particular needs. So there are risks involved in the transition. The difficulty for investors, of course, is the uncertainty. And there's lots of uncertainty 
when it comes to transitioning to renewable energy. Which fuels do you go for? Which are going to be the cleanest? Which are going to be the best long-term bet? Which are going to be the lowest cost for the shipper, for the carriers? How much capacity will you need? What types of ships will you need? Those very large container ships, are they going to go bigger? Are they still going to stay at the size they are, go bigger? Or are things going to change? Are the routes going to change? Are the types of goods being carried going to change? Is the mix going to change? So when you build capacity as a shipping carrier, you have to be aware of all those different aspects that are involved. And you also have to be aware of government regulation. Is government regulation in a particular part of the world going to play a critical part in which type of fuel you pick as compliant for your particular ships? When it comes to safety too, which fuels are going to be the safest to use on driving those ships around the globe? And all these things have degrees of uncertainty and carry risk. And for investors, of course, risk is okay. They can calculate and compute risk. But if there's uncertainty, that makes it far more difficult to make an investment decision. So presently, many are sitting back and waiting to see how things play out before they commit huge resources. And they are huge. When you listen to the figures that I mentioned earlier, you're talking of millions of dollars of investment in building new capacity in shipping lines. And so they have to be more certain than at present they can be. When you make an investment decision in any business, you're calculating how much you'll have to outlay. Where that funding's going to come from? Is it coming from equity capital of the business? Is it coming from profits out of the business? Or is it going to have to be funded through loans? And if it's funded through loans, there are other considerations, such as how volatile are the interest rates, where you're going to borrow the money from, and of course, inflationary impacts. And are you going to get the return on that investment in the required time periods? Are you going to get your money back from the investment? And in shipping, of course, we've already heard that ships sailing the ocean waves, on average, 22.2 years in age. So you're talking about a long period of time over which the ships are earning revenue, but the capital outlay is up front. So those equations and the discounted cash flows that are involved in the finance decisions become critical, and uncertainty muddies the water. There are stakeholders in the shipping business, apart from the owners, of course. There are governments that are involved, There are suppliers of goods, of equipment, and there are customers all involved in this world of shipping. And many others, the port authorities around the world, and all the employees that are supported by maritime trade. And when you consider over 80% of goods carried around the globe are moved by ship, and that's likely to remain the case in future. And that's alongside all of the uncertainty that we've experienced in the last year or two, with Russia's war in Ukraine, trouble in the Middle East, the increasing risk of piracy, and all the problems we've had with natural disasters, and of course, the climate change issues themselves, lowering the water lines through major routes, such as Panama Canal, and other canal systems elsewhere in the world, all having their toll, and of course our inputs to the decision. If the water line is going to be a problem because of climate change, do you need smaller ships to go through those routes? These are all part of an equation 
that the shipping companies have to make. And of course, what are the energy markets going to look like in five years' time? We don't even know what they're going to look like in a year's time. Is the mix of energy going to be coming from fossil fuel or different types of hydrogen, LNG, battery power? What's that mix going to look like? The one thing that we do know, and it is certain, is that we have climate change and something has to be done to lower the threats from climate change, which means we need to focus on sustainability. And if we focus on sustainability, that means we're going to have to switch our habits when it comes to investment towards sustainable fuel and fuel sources. So we're talking about solar power, wind power, and water power. And those are part of the mix, along with hydrogen and, of course, other forms of energy that can be employed to drive shipping, which cleans up the emission processes from ships. At present, the majority of ships run on diesel oil. Here are some of the key things that uh, shipping companies have already done to attempt to lower their carbon footprints as they transition to clean energy. A report by the World Economic Forum claims that one of the ways to reduce shipping emissions is by reducing a vessel's speed by 20%, and they say that that would cut shipping industry emissions and fuel costs by somewhere between 24 and 34%. Another way is to support the development of zero-carbon vessels and zero-carbon fuels, building production facilities and distribution networks for clean bunker fuels, upgrading port infrastructures to accommodate these new technologies, and other measures. Shipping companies are also experimenting with hydrogen, methanol and ammonia as alternative fuels, as we've mentioned. And the trend towards these larger vessels has also allowed ships to reduce emissions per tonne of cargo, so the move to these big container ships of over 20,000 TEUs, 20 equivalent units, they lower the carbon content of each item. But of course, overall, the carbon content emitted by the ship will be the same. So that's more of a, a mathematical equation to say that the transition of a particular cargo item carries less emission. And you have to distinguish between what's a real carbon cut and what's a metric that makes it look better. The reduction of uh, the impact of global shipping industry emissions, of course, will depend on what governments actually do and whether they're prepared to contribute in some way to making the investment necessary to move to a greener, cleaner shipping industry. Governments can play a crucial role in helping the shipping industry transition to clean energy, according to the International Chamber of Shipping. They say that governments have to take urgent measures to help the industry achieve net zero CO2 emissions by 2050, and they focus on plans to include a compulsory research and development fund to develop zero-carbon technologies and support the development of a carbon-free approach through this levy for shipping to make it easier to transition. Governments can also incentivize large-scale projects, and in addition, they can support the development of zero-carbon fuels, building facilities and distribution networks for clean bunker fuels, upgrading port infrastructure to accommodate these new technologies, and also invest in digital technologies to support efficient use of fuels. So the question is, will we see a concerted effort 
by the shipping industry globally to move to clean, green, renewable, sustainable energy sources on vessels. Well, it's going to be a mixed picture, I think. There'll be some carriers who will make the investment and they'll be more certain about what they can do to transition and they'll have the resources to make the leap of faith. But for many, they'll step back and wait to see how the landscape, the lie of the land, the lie of the sea shapes up before investing any money. And there will still be many ships sailing powered by fossil fuel for many years to come, despite the rhetoric, despite the wish by many to move to cleaner fuel, the uncertainty that's playing out in the global economic sea trade will of course prevent an immediate rush to the future. Governments of course have a part to play through regulation, trade bodies have a part to play by encouraging investment by carriers, but when you look at the number of ships that are still registered in Panama and other states with low regulatory frameworks, they're unlikely to make that leap until things are much clearer and perhaps even that they're forced to do so. There's pressure coming from governments and other shippers. Competition, of course, in the market will be an ultimate driver of change and pressure from customers and from consumers may also reach the shipping industry. So that's it for this week's special episode on maritime trade and the move towards the future transition to renewable, sustainable energy. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Chain Reaction podcast when we'll take a look at another topic of interest. So come along, join us. We look forward to having you on board for 2024 and staying informed, keeping up to date and of course achieving that supply chain advantage for your business and for the people that you work with. I'm Tony Hines, I'm signing off and I'll see you next time in the Chain Reaction Podcast. Bye for now. Chain Reaction Podcast was written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.